This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here. As the weather has been warming, everyone's thoughts have been turning to shearing, especially our alpacas. They keep looking at me and saying, isn't it time yet? So today we thought we would consider the preparation for shearing, what's involved, the kind of things that we need to be concentrating on. So when is the right time? Second question is, are the fields clean? Not talking about the animals, talking about the fields. Number three, is my equipment ready? Number four, I've got shearers coming. What do I need to do? And number five, what am I going to use the fleece for? In fact, this last question feeds into all of the other questions too. So number one, what's the right time? Number two, are the fields clean? Number three, is my equipment ready? Number four, shearers coming. What do I need to do? Number five, what am I going to use the fleece for? The overriding issue is that it's all about the animals and it's all about the fleece. Both of these things are true. And today I'm very pleased to have Sue joining us again on the podcast. And so we're going to talk through the whole process of preparing for shearing. Hi, Sue. Hi, Steve. This is very much a joint effort when we do the shearing, although I have to say I feel like you do the lion's share of the really tough stuff. Um, but I'm really glad to be there with you doing it. It's great. Well, we work well as a team. Sometimes the animals just don't do quite what you expect them to, but there we go. So the first question we were going to look at is, when is the right time? Uh, Usually this you can answer in retrospect. Uh, You know whether you've got the right time or not. The trouble is that you've got to go with the slot that you've got, the opportunity to do the shearing. Uh, Relies on weather, usually, because the animals... Um, most cases you can't bring them in the whole herd so you have to then be able to have good weather before the shearing good weather during the shearing and hopefully good weather after the shearing one of the challenges here in the UK is that it can be wonderful weather during the day but it can be really cold at night the clear skies that we love in in May at at the moment really blue, really clear, really open but that means as the sun goes down They stay open and the heat just disappears. So the animals can get very cold. And of course, it's also not just about the external factors, the weather. It's also about the particular animals themselves. And one of the challenges that we face in thinking about the right timing is whether or not the alpacas are pregnant and how close to their giving birth can we shear them and it still be safe to do so. Um, What we don't want to do is put the animals at risk, but also we recognise that they've not only got this amazing fleece around their their bodies, but particularly for those who are pregnant, it's like they're carrying a hot water bottle all the time. Oh, yes, that's very true. So their potential for getting heat stress is really quite significant. And that's the balance, really, isn't it, between, well, a number of these issues we, we have to balance between two or more things and and here we're thinking about what's more stressful is it more stressful to shear the animal or for the animal to be overheating um, and we have done on occasions <laughs> I remember once we, we ended up having to do uh, some hand shearing just to to make one 
uh, more comfortable because she was just getting so hot. Um, and it was easier to do the hand shearing than try and just clear off some of the fleece. But uh, it's a bit of a challenge trying to do that. It is. And as with everything, it takes forward planning, but it also takes being prepared to respond in the moment. Yeah, flexibility is really important. Good point. Okay, so when's the right time? Well, it's going to be in the UK. We're going to be looking at May. Um, Last year, we were able to do it quite early because we had such a long, steady um, or stable um, period of weather which was really helpful. So we managed to get the shearing done a bit earlier than we usually do. So usually it's it's sort of mid-late May and tipping into June, depending on what's happening with the weather. We're trying to avoid the cold nights, as we said, but also trying to avoid the, the showers um, and them getting wet because you can't shear an alpaca if the fleece is wet. It just chews it. It doesn't cut it. So And obviously you've then got wet fleece to, to try and store and handle which does mean that that sometimes we're planning to shear and actually there's been a dew the night before Mm. and actually we have to wait until the alpacas have have steamed off their dew uh, before we can actually bring them in to shear them. So sometimes shearing can end up by being um, either a very early morning job when it's getting really hot during the day or it can end up by being later on in the day um, so that they're dry enough to shear. So the second question. So the first question was, when is the right time? The second question we wanted to consider is, are the fields clean? So this is really thinking about the stuff that gets on the the fleece, particularly for the the youngsters, the, the career born last year. Uh, this is going to be their first shearing. And they just seem to be magnets for attracting vegetation. Absolutely they are. And that's one of the challenges because their fleece is so fine and almost like like spider's webs. But the problem is it just everything sticks to it. So you can end up having an alpaca walking around almost like a walking Christmas tree sometimes. Yeah. Some of them stand a bit close to the hay feeder, I've noticed, and the the adults particularly eating the, the hay end up sprinkling hay all over the back of the the younger ones that are smaller, and and then the the others start grazing the hay off the back of each other. So they're a little bit of get cleared off. But we're looking at brambles. We're looking at things like teasels um, that break up. The head breaks up into. Um, they've got. They've almost got like barbs on them. They have they? hooks. Yeah, and the barbs catch into the alpaca fibre, and at times can work their way down, which is actually a problem in terms of their own skin health but yeah. especially is a problem when we're thinking yeah. about shearing and at the moment we're getting a lot of brambles uh, the dead stuff that they get they're reaching in further into the the brambles and finding that they're picking up the the dead stuff gets caught uh, on them and around them um so regularly each day we're having to clear off bits Absolutely. Uh, and gorse as well which is a nightmare because it's very fine and small and can get into the fleece and you think you're getting hold of a safe place and you suddenly find that you get prickled so that's cleaning the fields rather than cleaning the animals is a, a good preparation. Absolutely it is. And each year that we've done this, and we've now been sharing them for 12 years, actually we've got better. This and part of that is because actually we have paid more attention to the overall condition of the fields. <laughs> do you remember the first year we had them? Our I fields do. were quite new and some of them were on reclaimed land. Um, so it was actually quite sandy. 
And the first year we ended up blunting so many of the shearing cutters because they just kept getting blunted because they had so much grit. Yeah, well, I was doing, I'd been on a course. I knew about these things. And the problem was that the, <laughs> the animals that I'd practiced on were a lot cleaner uh, and also a lot smaller, actually. But there we are. And it was then a problem. They, they got uncomfortable. We had them. They were pregnant. We were waiting for them to give birth. So the shearing was a bit later. And then they were getting uncomfortable and rolling uh, in in the ground and producing grit inside the thing. And you could hear it. You can you can hear the, the the little bits of grit sing in in the shears as they're vibrating backwards and forwards. And it, it all the time is blunting, as, as Sue said. So that was a, a bit of a challenge. And we used probably you're expecting to use something like um, one comb for five animals and maybe. Uh, a cutter for three but we we never do that we always t- tend to change ours it just it isn't worth getting halfway through and suddenly having to change but when we did our first year it was a lot more and uh, we probably used three cutters on one animal uh, and then still had to change it it was still chewing it so we we learned and you do that oh year by year it gets better that's the other fields clean and third question then is is my equipment ready? Which feeds onto the, the thing I was just saying about the combs and cutters. Have you got enough? Um, we've now got a larger group of animals, so we need to have enough to be able to process the, the animals we've got and then send off the, the combs and cutters to get sharpened. So have you got enough combs and cutters? The combs actually come with fins on the back, the standard alpaca combs rather than a, a sheep comb. And the fins on the back just lift the, the cutting head slightly away from from the skin, which gives slightly longer fleece, which is which is better for for the alpacas. Um, and then there's places we can we send them off to get them sharpened, and details will be in the show notes. There's lots of other places that do them, but I'll I'll just show who I use and how I find their service. The other thing that we have to pay attention to in preparing for the equipment, um, because we don't have the luxury of a shearing table which would just be wonderful. (laughs) As the years go by, the back says, a shearing table, a shearing table, please. (laughs) But we don't have a shearing table. But what we do use is a shearing harness that that Steve has made that involves rope that you would normally get from chandlers, from ship's chandlers. So it's pliable, um, but Mm, it's also strong. It's soft and strong. And the issue is, that rope needs to be in good condition. Not just is it frayed, but also um, is it is it slipping appropriately? Because if it's not, it becomes a nightmare when you're trying to mm. quickly but safely essentially get the, the alpaca into the place where you can shear them. Yeah. And if you end up having to fuss around with rope that isn't quite fit for purpose you get really stressed. The animal gets really stressed. And, <laughs> that, and that's where problems can arise. Yeah. Whereas you end up having to rush and rush is never good. Oh, never so good. All the preparation is helpful. And the, the other thing, we also use rubber mats. We use cow comfort mats to lay the alpacas down on the ground. So it's a concrete floor in the stable, which we use. So we're indoors, but it's then on the mat. So they're, they're comfortable um, and it's easy to clean. And so you're, you're looking to be able to clean off between animals fully as much as you can so that you're not getting any cross-contamination, particularly between colours. That's the important thing. So that's the the equipment. So is it sharp? Have you sent them off? Come back sharp? Are they ready? Have you got enough oil? Because you need to oil the the, the two bits of metal whizzing backwards and forwards. Do get very hot and there needs to be enough oil to to keep that um, 
working effectively and not getting too hot, which would burn the animals and would also blunt very quickly. So the other things then, is, as Sue said, is check the, the, the harness and the mats, clean out the, the stable. So is the equipment all ready? That's the third question then. Is my equipment ready? The fourth question. Hmm. Most people are going to have a shearer that comes. We, we do our own uh, and we always have and we always intended to. Therefore, we've we got the advantage. We can decide we can do a few today and then do a few later in the week, depending on what the weather's doing, that kind of thing. But often people will have booked the shearer. It's coming, they're coming on a particular week. And, and especially if you only have a few alpacas, if you only have a handful of alpacas, then um, the learning curve, both for you and the alpacas, as well as the investment in equipment, oh, yes. for you getting to the place where you can shear well, um, is is quite a quite an ask if you've only got a few alpacas yeah. unless there's something very particular that you want to be doing with your alpacas so it's part of how you are um developing your animal health your animal handling because certainly you do get to know your alpacas very well True. when you share them yourself absolutely but it is a steep curve so for us a number of the people who we have sold on alpacas to have been in small groups and they have usually had other people coming in to share. Although actually one or two of them have yeah. actually and have and have found the benefit in persevering in learning. Yeah, it takes time. It also takes numbers of animals. You need to be doing a lot of it. And you've got the contract shearers who come in and they, they, they churn through a whole load of animals very, very quickly. Um, because they're getting paid by by the animal, but yes. but we take our time doing ours. Yeah, and and actually there are there's the whole spectrum, isn't there? There are contract shearers who come in in teams and will mm. want to do large numbers, but there's also some specialist alpaca yeah, um, shearers true. out there, some of whom actually have their own herds uh, because you used to do shearing for other people sure. in fact weren't you at one stage called the alpaca <laughs> shearer for south wales well i not was quite. this, this not was quite. this was right at the beginning when my answer to that was well i i have some alpacas who which i shear um i've never sheared anybody else's but i realize you're in trouble and we need to help you so i'll come and, and it kind of grew on from there but uh yeah. just in case anybody's interested I'm not doing shearing for anybody else at the moment, yeah. just for us. We've but, got enough but to there do. Are, but there are people, there are people around there who sure. will do those yeah. smaller numbers. There does seem to be general people saying there's, it's, it's a bit difficult. So one of the preparations is to start early um, to do that. Yes, that's true, because we do get people who call us at the last minute saying, oh, my alpacas haven't been sheared for two years. Can you help me? Yeah. Um, and actually, alpaca shearers get booked up very quickly. So that is one of the things you need to do, which is to... If you're not going to share your alpacas yourself, if you haven't done it already, absolutely now is the time to yeah, um, secure someone to come and do it for you. Yeah. But what else do you need to do, Steve? In terms got- of preparing, if someone's coming, the, the animals need to be there. Mm. Um, you can't rely on the shearer to gather your animals in uh, to, to wherever you, you're going to be doing the shearing. A place to do the shearing is really helpful. So, Steve, given that you've been a shearer for other people what are your tips for what they need to do to get ready to have someone come in and share their animals yeah sure the the important thing is to have the animals available uh, and ready they they need to be gathered together ideally indoors overnight so that they're dry but they also need to be kept in a place where they're not going to get overheated 
Um, we're doing it in fine weather, ideally, and therefore potentially the animals are going to have to be standing around in the sun. So we want them to be in shade uh, and not not getting overheated while we're we're waiting to do them. The the other thing is uh, power and light. We need to have power to be able to to run the equipment, and you need enough light to be able to see what you're doing. If you're doing it outside, then you need to be able to get the power to wherever it is you're doing it. And, and a quarter of a field is is interesting to work in, having done it a few times, um, and, and having done it with uh, power generators even as well. So um, there are way ra- ways around, and you can find solutions to most problems. But thinking ahead and, and that kind of thing is, is really important. And uh, having gone out with you and sheared other people's alpacas, one of the things that helps in that has been having hurdles. Hurdles, ah, because my favourite my favorite piece of equipment. Hurdles actually provide a sufficiently contained space to be working on an animal so that they're not getting stressed um, and you're able to manage them. But also at times the hurdles can help hold shearing harness, a shearing yeah. harness. So she- hurdle or proximity to gates and things like that yeah gates fences on one occasion i used the the tow bar of the of the vehicle as the <laughs> the other end for securing the rope to so that there's there's ways to do that but you need to think about where are you going to do it and also the flow through for the animals so probably the best thing if people are going to have shearers coming in to do their alpacas is firstly to book them up yeah and secondly to explicitly ask the shearers what they need. Yeah, good point. Um, because then you're working together with them. Yeah, and also be clear with the shearer what it is you want. I mean, if you, if they, they're going to come, they're going to take the fleece off. That's their prime focus, their, their prime job as they're coming. But you may have a view about how you want to gather the fleece and whether you're going to separate it into separate bags for second, third uh, qualities, etc. So you need to have a system that you've thought through that's going to work simply and isn't going to get in the way of the, mm. the shearer doing their job. You need to be prepared to be involved in handling the animals as well, Absolutely. not just leaving it to the shearer. Uh, sometimes the shearer is on their own. Sometimes they come in a, a twos or, or a, a small team. So that's that's a, another thing. I think that's a really good point, actually, asking the shearer, what is it that they, they're going to need? Uh, what is it that they, they want? And I think flexibility, again, has to be a key word uh, because the weather's going to be difficult. Can you do it indoors? Do you have to do it outdoors? The, the dates might have to change. So arrangements might have to change. Just being clear with the shearer in advance. What happens if? Of course, we're saying this in Wales, aren't we? We are. <laughs> Wales, the weather can Good be, old green can Wales. Uh, which is green because of the rain. There we are. So that's number four. What, have you got a shearer coming? What do I need to do? Question number five was, what am I going to use the fleece for? And that does have a an impact on everything we've been talking about so far, but particularly it's going to affect the way you gather the fleece and what how you store it and, and, and that kind of thing. So what are you going to use your fleece for? That fundamentally determines the kind of preparation that you need to do. Your fleece is going to be lovely. Your animals are gorgeous. But there's a reality about what you can use different parts of the fleece for. It's no good thinking that you can ha- make amazing yarn from, from little Betsy over there if actually her fibre length is quite short. Mm. Um, it doesn't have a lot of crimp to it and it's got guard hair in it. Yeah. Because yarn for producing clothing actually needs to be made from very fine fibre that's consistent in length, yeah. that has crimp, that is long enough, and that meets the prickle test. 
Yes. <laughs> because you don't want to be investing in producing yarn and then using it and then finding that customers simply won't buy it because it just feels itchy. Yeah. So the way that we do it is that we group the fleece from each individual animal into four different categories. The first is the best quality fleece that we're getting off them. That's usually off their backs and sides. So a blanket sort of areas. The blanket area. The second quality is very similar to the first, but maybe isn't quite as fine or quite as long. And that may be slightly further down the side of the animal and over their rump, but each animal is is different. Slightly different. Um, The third is still, third quality for us is still usable. So it's still over two centimetres long, because actually if you've got fibre that's less than two centimetres long, it's quite difficult to use it for things. Mm. But the thirds might be variable in length and they might be variable in fineness, but they are all two centimetres long and clean. Our fourth category is our end bits. So the second cuts, the bits that are clean, but actually don't meet that criteria. They can still be used for things. But uh, it's not possible to do the spinning with that. Yeah, felting, art and other stuff like that. And we'll cover more of what to use your fleece for in other podcasts. Sure. And then the last lot are... The grubby, dirty, damp, daggy bits that you yeah. just need to get Straight rid of. Straight in the corner, in the bag. Now, the rubbish. thing that, uh, that's the challenge, and we'll cover this more when we cover a podcast actually on shearing, is that actually you've got to be really ruthless. Is yeah. this really though, good quality fleece? Yeah, it's hard though. Um, and it's really tough because you yeah. want everything to be lovely, but there's a reality about is this going to be fibre that you can really use? So for each animal, we make sure we have at least three strong, clear plastic bags. Over the years, we've worked out the weight, the minimum weight that's necessary to stop penetration of moths, because the last thing you want is to have your lovely fleece contaminated in storage because it then becomes worthless. So clear plastic bags that are of a sufficient size to take all of the blanket of an animal, but not so big that it becomes cumbersome. So again, we'll put in the show notes the weight and the sizing that we have found works well for us. The second thing that you need to do in preparation is actually print out some labels. Again, we've tried all sorts of things. We, for a long time, had beautiful labels stuck onto the outside of these plastic bags. We're fine until the labels started peeling off and then we couldn't work out what was what. What we were looking at. So what we do now is that we print out some sheets with the animal's name, the year of shearing, and tick box for first, second or third grading. And it just means that we can, when we've bagged up for that animal, we've just got an, we've got something inside the bag. Yeah, In so fact, belt and braces. We've got a, a sticky label that goes on the outside and then yeah. we've got a, a slip of paper that goes on the inside. And then you, you, if you lose the label, at least you've still got the chance That's of right. knowing what you're That's dealing right. with. Yeah. That's right. Great. So all of that needs to be got through in advance and what we are now finding is that simple cable ties that are reusable is actually the best way of closing it up so that you can get a really secure closure on the bag but also when you want to open it again yeah because you can get cable ties which are great but but you have to cut them off and then use a new one but you can get cable ties which are reusable little, little 
plastic lever and it just allows you to slip them off, yeah. which are the ones we're talking about. So yeah. again, details in the show notes. So that's what you need for every animal, plus some bigger bags to take the, the fourths, the offcuts, sure. the clean offcuts for everyone, which ends up looking like a uh, an individual, <laughs> almost look like a rainbow bag of fleece. Yeah. Um, and kids love them. We also have some some smaller bags that we take a sample of fibre from exactly the same spot on the animal every single year. So we've got fibre samples so that we can track what's happened to their fleece over years. If we're thinking about who to mate with whom, we can think about what we're going to be introducing in terms of the variability of fibre, how we're going to improve. Many owners, particularly if they have a significant number of animals and are producing fibre for commercial purposes or for selling their alpacas on um, because they're breeding, will actually have their fibre analysed. Yeah, okay. But we can talk about that at a, on another podcast. But essentially, this still goes back to the core question of what you're going to use your fleece for. We keep bags by individual animals and that's because a number of people who buy our fibre actually are buying them for hand spinning, hand felting etc and they're interested in knowing which animal it comes from Sure. and if I'm making something particularly if I'm felting from an animal it's nice to be able to say oh that, that's Noah you saw him up up on the hillside or that's, that's Megan she's in that field over there but if you are doing something on a larger scale you may not need to have individual bags. Obviously, it's cheaper if you don't. In one sense, it's easier. But you would need to make sure that in thinking about what you're using your fibre for, you're making sure that you are collecting the similar level of quality of fibre together. Right. So that's length, fineness and crimp. Yeah. Length, fineness and crimp. That that defines the quality of the fibre. And you probably don't want to have a huge mix unless it's going for filling of duvets and pillows and things like that yeah great okay so that's the fifth question what are you going to use the fleece for so just to run through them again we got when is the right time to shear are the fields clean is my equipment ready fourthly the shearers are coming what do i need to do and fifthly what am i going to use the fleece for Remembering it's all about the animals in terms of their welfare. We've got to take care of them and take the fleece off for welfare reasons. But also, it's all about the fleece. That is the product. That is the product from alpacas. It's a great time of year as spring becomes fully established and the weather warms up. Preparation for this season with your alpacas is important and can make the hard work that is shearing flow more smoothly. Hopefully the reminders and suggestions of things to be thinking through will be helpful to you. If you have any other tips to share with fellow listeners, do drop me an email and we can pass them on. What's your favourite shearing time saver? Check out the show notes for links and more details of what we've been discussing in this episode. And if you're finding the podcast helpful, don't keep it to yourself. Let me know and share it with a friend. Remember, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, so you won't miss an episode. Good luck with your shearing preparations, and well done, but try not to feel too smug if you've already finished yours. 
Thanks for listening and being part of our alpaca journey. See you again soon here at the Alpaca Tribe.